Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom McCarthy. So happy to be with you. A busy, busy week here at the Comedy Castle. We've got a great show. I've got so many things that I've got to got to talk about and, and let you know about. Uh, at the top of the list is two great conversations on this week's installment. The Castle Podcast, our headliner this weekend, Dustin Nickerson. This is Dustin's second time on the Comedy Castle Podcast. San Diego-based comic who's just a blast to talk to. Really enjoyed catching up with him and talking about his incredible new album, Overwhelmed. He's got a great podcast out called Don't Make Me Come Back There that I uh, can't speak highly enough. So Dustin will be interview number one. And then interview no- number two, we've got a civilian on this week's installment of the Castle Podcast. That's kind of rare. Uh, his name is Rob Boyle. Rob is from the Furniture Bank of Southeast Michigan. He is going to uh, he is going to be talking about the fundraiser we're having here at the Castle on Thursday, the thirteenth of October, to benefit a wonderful call, cause. And Dustin Nickerson will be starting his weekend off headlining that show on the thirteenth. So I'm going to give you some details here in a moment. But there's other things we need to talk about here on this very busy week on Tuesday, the eleventh. It is the Detroit to L.A. competition at 7.30 p.m. New upcoming aspiring comics competing for cash prizes and stage time in Los Angeles. This contest runs for several months throughout the year. It's a lot of fun, a lot of really good talent. It really showcases the depth of talent here uh, in southeast Michigan and the upper Midwest in general. Uh, We also have some people coming in from far, far away to participate in that. So that is Tuesday the 11th at 7.30. Catch it if you haven't. Wednesday the 12th of October, our world-famous open mic comedy night here at the Castle, 7.30 p.m. One of truly, truly the best open mics I've ever been a part of and that I've ever seen week in and week out. We put a lot of people in that showroom, get 10 to 12 comics going up there doing tight five to seven-minute sets. It's always a good time. Check it out if you haven't. And then our Dustin Nickerson weekend does begin here on the 13th with our fundraiser for the Furniture Bank of Southeastern Michigan. It has been running, I believe, 12 or 13 years. It is one of the longest standing fundraisers and charity events we do here at the Castle. They're great people. It's a great cause. Uh, My conversation with Rob Boyle that you'll hear uh, shortly here on this episode will give you a lot of details about what they're about and why they do what they do. So again, That is, no, and I want to make sure that you know that that is early. That is at 6 p.m. is when the event starts. There are still some tickets available. They're going fast. So make sure you call the castle at 248-542-9900 and grab some of those. Go directly to the website at comedycastle.com. You can get your tickets right there. And then for four more shows, the 14th and the 15th, we've got Dustin Nickerson. Friday the 14th at 7.15. And the late show will be at 9.45 p.m. And then on Saturday, 7 p.m. is the early show. 9.30 p.m. is the late show. And oh my goodness, let me take a breath. Let me take a sip of my ice water here. My mouth is getting dry selling all these tickets here. (laughs) Sunday the 16th, hometown hero, really awesome comic. Tommy Davidson making one of his rare local appearances Great, great comic, great fan base. These tickets will go quickly as well. There is just one show on Sunday the 16th, 7.30 p.m., and again, that is Tommy Davidson. So let me count. I mean, Jiminy Crickets. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight shows here the week of October 10th at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Okay, I think we've got all the housekeeping items out of the way, all the announcements. We'll play these interviews back-to-back. I guess I've already set them up a little bit. Uh, again, Dustin Nickerson followed by Rob Boyle from the Furniture Bank of Southeast Michigan. One thing um, about Dustin, you'll hear a little bit in the conversation, but uh, just doing doing my prep for it. Uh, his great album that he recorded during the pandemic is called Overwhelmed. Uh, I listened to that a couple times over the weekend. And then this morning, uh, I listened to uh, an installment of his podcast. It's really good. Uh, called Don't Make Me Come Back There. If you do check out uh, Dustin's material, you'll you'll see relatively early on, he does he does work clean. Uh, and, and, and we have a lot of clean comics that come through uh, on a regular basis. 
probably my all-time favorite comic or one of them, Brian Regan, is a clean comic. The one thing that I always appreciate about a comic who works clean is when you still get some perspective about who they are and what their beliefs are. Uh, sometimes all comics, but clean comics in particular, tend to avoid some of that in their act. So it's it's just really refreshing to hear really tight, well-written, well-performed, clean material uh, but also where you get some point of view in some sense of, of who this comic is and what they believe and why. So Dustin's a great example of that. I think that's a great setup for the conversation. So enjoy it. Dustin Nickerson and then followed immediately by Rob Boyle. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of my line is our headliner this week. And we're so excited to have you back in town. Dustin Nickerson, everyone. How you doing? Good, good. Good morning. I suppose it's not some morning. Oh, no, you're some morning. You're Central Time. Good morning to you. No, I'm Eastern. I'm well into my, I'm three minutes Eastern. into my afternoon. Oh. <laughs> no, you know what? I should back up and I should back up, Dustin, and say Happy Flems Day to you. Happy Flems Day. Thanks for listening <laughs> to the podcast, everybody. <laughs> By the way, I guess we should plug that yeah. right off the top. I love it. Um, Dustin's got a great podcast called Don't Make Me. Come back there where uh, your guest host is your mm -hmm. wife, too, correct? Yeah. Or your co-host, yeah, I should uh, say, not guest host. My co-host, yeah. We used to – well, she was kind of a guest host at first, and then uh, there's the global pandemic, and I was kind of getting tired of rounding up guests. And I was like, hey, you know who's around a lot right now and who <laughs> I enjoy their company quite a bit? Uh, Melissa. And now people tell me that uh, – She's their favorite part of the pod and uh, hurts my feelings, but I know it's good for business. <laughs> well, yeah, in, in full disclosure, I only listened to the most recent episode, which I think posted today um, when I was out on my run this morning. Mm -hmm. and it, it's very good. And, and not knowing your wife and just knowing your references to her in your act and in your excellent album, Overwhelmed, which I'll talk about in a minute. She's kind of quick you. on her feet. I mean, she I, I don't um, I. I could picture her on stage. Uh, I know, I know stand up is entirely a different thing than being quick on your feet and, and being good on a mic, but those are two pretty important criteria. She's entertaining and, uh, uh, it's, it's fun banter between the two of you. Obviously, there's chemistry there. Oh. Well, I'll never tell her that because I can't risk her ego getting out of check. <laughs> but you are, you are right. Uh, no, when we, it was, it was a fun thing to switch. We talked about this on the pie and that you know there is a stage funny there's the way you're on you're funny in a group setting but the way that you can banter with and sometimes thicker thicker and banter with your spouse or partner is so different and it was it the goal was kind of to well if we can encapsulate this then this is actually something very different than my standard comedy it's something very uh, different than I do even on other podcasts because I'm sitting next to someone I've been with for 20 years and vice versa. So, you know, the, the hope was that we could kind of, you know, bring out the best sides of us and then uh, monetize both sides of those. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know what well, I enjoyed? I'm, about, I'm glad you're enjoying it. What <laughs> I enjoyed about the episode I listened to today, just, you know, your, your act and I... Um, I know from having you on last time um, and, and some of your material back then and then also listening through uh, this past weekend to to the album that was recording during the, the pandemic, Overwhelmed, um, I know your act and I know you through your act, but uh, just getting a little bit uh, more sense of, of, of your of, of uh, your point of view on a variety of different things um, through the podcast is kind of interesting because other than the comics that I'm friends with and the, and, and the comics I hang out with, I don't always know their point of views. Uh, in today's world, not as many comics uh, will dive into social issues or, or politics. Uh, my opinion is it's kind of good business if you want to continue to get booked and be on the road, right. depending on what your goals are. Right. You, get, you get a little bit more sense of a person's point of view, their politics. Uh, what's important to them and that definitely comes through on the podcast for sure good yeah hey I'm glad you're, and you're liking it you know we try and the, discuss those ways and fills in a way that uh, are personal and you know true to who you are but also you know consumable and, and not off-putting because I, I don't really have any interest in like not talking about issues, but to me more interesting is trying to find a way to talk about the issues that people can listen to still without either just nodding along like, yes, I agree with those things, like, you know, way too overzealously, 
uh, or being turned off entirely because you don't agree. More interesting to me is a, is a, is a kind of a culture and a, a world of discourse where you go, oh, that's what you believe? Oh, that's what you believe? Great. You know, yeah, and that's... Not really care. You know what's it's, it's funny is most interaction, one-on-one, even with people you, you disagree with, when it still is face-to-face human interaction, to me, it's the same as it ever was. I don't necessarily try and convince anyone. I'm not trying to win you over. Here's the issue. Here's how I feel about it. And here's why I feel that way about it. And that, though, right. gets lost when that is, is taken into the, in, onto the internet and cyberspace and soon to be the metaverse. It mm. just all, it, it all falls apart. Uh, you know, people, if you can't, I mean, who, who has ever really won? I, I know a comic's got a great line about, Oh, I just totally won that conversation. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not not unlike a marriage fight in that way. There's really no such thing as winning, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I think, you know, another thing that I, lo- I love uh, about the album and that comes through on the podcast is you were married young. You were married at 19. And I know, uh, I believe you're in your mid-30s now. So yourself and Melissa have been together a long time, almost half of your, half of your lives, but you still, uh, you still obviously have chemistry on the microphone. And I know you're raising, is it, you have three kids now? Three kids, correct. Yeah. You, you, you decided to, yeah, go. That's, uh, you know, there, there is just kind of a database of information. <laughs> like, Mel said that the other day she, we were just kind of chatting. She, somebody had like, oh, her sister recently had a couple of uh, kids and you realize just like, oh my gosh, I've, I know a lot about this. You know, it's just not, I've been, I've been parenting at least one child for 15 years. There's <laughs> a lot of information, there's a lot of story and then the podcast sitting, you know, there's a lot of anecdotes. There's a lot of experience. We can talk about this. Uh, quite a bit at ease like uh, you know what it is is we're taking a test and we're, we're well versed on the material oh absolutely it's kind of i'm sure this occurs to you now too you're your oldest then with a 15 year old he's just four years younger than you were when you when you got when you got married so that that's what i've got a 22 22 year old and an 18 year old and the phase of life that they're in right now it kind of helps me with reference points in my own life and looking back and it's that's got to blow right. your mind it does. I did tell him that. I go, you know, Joel, if your life is like mine, then next summer you'll meet your wife. I'm fleshing. Well, you've got one summer left of being single, Joel. One summer left. I'm uh, I'm fleshing out a new bit right now that came out of a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with a good friend of mine, and we were we've got uh, kids about the same age, uh, two kids who have just come out of college, and we we're just talking about what a great time in our life that was and and when you look back on it you, you want your kids just to relax and not worry because the worry is coming mortgages and job pressure and all that is coming your way but it's such a great time in your life and then my friend paused and he said uh we're, we're both 53 now he paused and he said the only other time in my life that was any better was well like when i turned 47 or 48 and and quit giving a crap about everything that's like that's perfect that's going to be a bit um, that's hilarious <laughs> that that's very very funny yeah it's uh yeah you know i think the only time will be more for years when you when you come to grips with death yeah. that'll be it that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what you have to look forward to yeah i think you know <laughs> like enjoy college and then and then you know coming to uh, you know, finally winning the the match with your uh, internal fear of your mortality. That's oh, what you got absolutely. You know, that's one thing that I'm I'm getting much better at at this stage of my life. Is I've typical type A, high strung. Just there's always the next thing to move on to the next thing I need to be working on. And over the last four or five years, I've just I'm enjoying my downtime. I'm 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 realizing that it's okay to put things off. You know, I'm going to go. Today is a beautiful mm. October day in the Midwest. I'm gonna I'm gonna go play nine holes with a buddy and go take my son out for coffee and and uh, blow off a bunch of things. And I'm gonna enjoy doing it. Amazing, amazing. Well, I love that. Hey, tell me about how um, tell me about how overwhelmed came together. You obviously decided to press through and record it during the pandemic, which you you obviously you make a part of the album. When was it recorded and where was it recorded? 
Well, pandemic came to fruition because uh, I knew I I was going to record in 2020. I just didn't really have much of a choice creatively. Um, Like it was time for that material to go. Mm -hmm. Um, It had, you know, Louie talked about materials kind of like fruit, right? That it can get ripe and then it can go bad. Yep. And a lot of those bits were like, these need to go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going through that Uh, big time right now. (laughs) I relate. Yeah. Yeah. And the plan at the start of 2020 was always to record then. And, and then a global pandemic hit and we had all these different issues and, um, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I did a cut. I did keep your distance with Kev on stage. I don't mm-hmm. know if you track those at all, but Kev was doing outdoor spaces in a parking lot of a studio in uh, LA and they were, you know, outdoor spaced out um, spaces. And I did a couple sets. Well, I did one and it went really, really well. And, and uh, their media company, there that did that transit came and said, Hey, we want in the Dustin Nickerson business. <laughs> cool. What do you want to do? How do we, how do we get with you? And I said, I want to make this special. And so we ended up making it there in that parking lot in LA, uh, you know, uh, exactly two years ago, it would have been, you know, uh, fall 2021 that we recorded it. So okay. yeah, it was very unconventional, but it, it was, you know, it is, uh, I like the material a lot still. It kind of I acts a little bit as a, a time capsule. I have wondered if down the road I might pull a Seinfeld and record all that material as kind of a more proper special, you know, like kind of yeah. put it back indoors in, mm-hmm. in front of a regular crowd. But also, um, you know, it is at this point, people know when they're watching something that was made during the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. They know yeah. kind of as it turns on and they go, oh, okay, this is, uh, this is why this is outside. This is why people are wearing masks. They didn't really have a choice in this, you know? Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, that's kind of how it all came to, be, uh, came to be. And then Kev also helped produce it as well. So, you know, it was, it was really just kind of the right team got together and it mm-hmm. was, uh, time to make it. Well, it's it, it it seems now, and and who knows? I know we're we're going to be dealing. It's just going to be a fact of our life. But as with all traumatic experiences, you, you do find humor in it. Usually, sometimes when you're in it, but more often than not, when you're when you're on the other side of it. And I've been incorporating a lot of that stuff. Just to me, it's hilarious how my wife and I, for the first couple of weeks, maybe the first three weeks of the pandemic, we would go shopping, we would leave the groceries in the garage for exactly forty eight hours. We would then bring them in and wipe them down with Windex because we're rule followers. That's what they were saying to do. And now when I look back on it, just how absurd. And it's like, it's like, uh, honey, I'll I'll be up in a few minutes when I'm, when I'm done wiping down the pop tarts so we can have them tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, what was funny during that time is I've never ever in the history of our family, been the one that did the grocery shopping, but I did during that time. And I look back and I was like, did you guys just all get together and vote me most expendable? <laughs> this is even like the thing that's usually my job. Why did, why did you send me out to do this? Like, listen, we don't want to lose anyone, but if we have to, it's gotta be dad. He's the one, you know, he's the one that we could lose over getting some tomatoes. Oh yeah. It, uh, I don't know. It's it is it has felt wonderfully normal these last four or five months. I hope that continues to be the trend. But I also, you know, it was fool's gold before. I remember uh, in 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 the late fall of 2020, things started opening up again here in 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 Michigan and in the Midwest. I started doing shows again for about a six week period. But then places were closing again, cases were skyrocketing. And then in, in this particular part of the country, we, we went through, after we had that taste of freedom and that things were kind of going back to normal, we had six months that were just terrible, uh, you know, just off the charts. Oh. But I do feel we're on the backside of that for sure. It, it has felt wonderfully normal. It does, yeah. And it's, um, it's less of a political tool right now too, which is helpful oh. because that was so much of what we were experiencing in that it was, it wouldn't, it was so bizarre that you would go to places that 
it was the most serious thing, and then you would go to places where it wasn't a thing at all, and you're like, this does, this can't be right. <laughs> it was a perfect storm. Somewhere in between these things. And I hope, uh, and, and of course I'm cynical about human nature, but I hope inevitably when we face a crisis again, whether it's 20 years from now, 50, 100 years from now, that we learn something from this. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, who who knows? Yeah. You know, in, in, Zoltan had the best. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, Zoltan had the kind of the best summary of it is that we were all united for about two weeks. And then somebody found out that COVID was a Democrat and then, <laughs> and then all hell broke loose. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny when I think about the parallels for someone of my age, I re, re um, you know, I'm patriotic in the sense that I, I, I love this country and I love, I, I love the freedoms we have and what this country country's achieved in 250 years. But, you know, I don't come from a military family. Uh, we, we have, we have some military people in our, uh, you know, um, in, Second cousins, third cousins, but not my father's or grandfather's. However, when the terrorist attacks happened in 9-11, I, I mean, if, if patriotism is a tangible thing, I felt it in my blood every single morning for yeah. about a month. Yeah. Had, had, had the 9-11 situation continued for a year or two years, even, even in the early 2000s, it would have been politicized. It would have, I, I think we would have been fractured, but not to the extent we were you know, uh, over this thing for sure. No, I mean, it, there is, um, you know, look at the war in Ukraine. Everybody was pretty agreed and worked up on that for a pretty short period of time. And even that has been politicized. You're like, this isn't even our war. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, but our involvement or lack of involvement and in how much we should care and, or not care. Metal, it's, um, you know, it's all, listen, we're all, we're all political pawns, you know, being moved. Or those are the political pawns that we're being played, right, Tom? Yeah. Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot uh, of fun. A lot of fun. But to your, uh, I actually, you know, you you did mention that I do talk about those things, which is not super common amongst comics, but it's not, um, it's very uncommon amongst clean comics. Yes. And I am a clean comic, yes, but I, I very intentionally and not trying to be an escapist, right? I don't. And I think there's a really important uh, place for comedy being escapism where you don't even think about those kind of things. But it's not who I am. It's not really who any interest. I have much more interest in how can I find things on said topics that we can all laugh about. And you know, bingo. That's, that's kind of the angle that I'm that I'm trying to pull. There you is know? like I did a Black Lives Matter bite on overwhelmed, and but I didn't say really what I think about it, you know. But I all I'm saying is that I the, the extent of my take on it is that I'm letting people know I was at a protest. That's all yeah. I'm saying. And then I go on and do the bit about forgetting my sign, you know, oh. not knowing what to do with the sign afterwards. That that and, struck and, such a nerve with me because I've got two in my garage right now that my that my kids did. You know, that morning of the protest, homemade signs, and they might stay there yeah. until we sell this house. I just don't know what to do. And I love that bit. Yeah, and that's and that's what I like to do because it's not really a bit about BLM or race, but I am letting you know what's important to me. But really, it's a bit about forget or you know not knowing what to do with the sign, and and I I like that. I like trying right. to find unique angles well, it, like that on on said topic. It's good business to be nuanced. You know, when you bank your when you bank your first ten million, you know, maybe you you can afford to <laughs> to be more extreme on stage. But I, I just think a, a good comic and a, a good observer of the culture, I think striving to point out the absurdity in extreme positions is a good thing for a society. And that has fallen on the shoulder of comics traditionally. What's going to happen with that? Because I, I do feel extreme views um, in, in, in just about anything there, there's an absurdity to them that does need to be pointed out that we can laugh about. Um, some people will never get the joke, but um, that is, that is my word. When you think about the last 50 years of, of comedy, you know, when it went from vaudeville and Pratt falls to, to Lenny Bruce and Pryor and Carlin, the social commentary, the things that need to be said. And, you know, I know it's an old bit right now. We talk about it a lot on the show, but 
if if that is suppressed and, and comics are afraid to say that, uh, oh, my gosh, it God, who knows <laughs> where it's going to come from? Yeah, I 100 percent agree. And I do think that there is it's a general rule, you know, when people complain too much about like, you know, crowds being sensitive that I have no I don't care at all about that. I'm like, right. well, adjust with the crowd. Okay. The crowd is telling, cause sensibilities change. Culture changes. That's, that's a fine thing, you know, but the actual silence, the actual limited, limiting of the things that you can say, that is absolutely disconcerting, you know? Yeah. And it, 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 you, you hope that it doesn't even reach it, never reaches a point where it affects live comedy. Like these, you know, there's, there's accounts being taken down on the internet every day. It's happened to all of us to some extent. You've, you've broken a community guideline online, whatever it may be. Right. Listen, whatever. I didn't, we didn't build these platforms. They can, it's not censorship if they take you down. That's not censorship. They own the platform. They can do whatever they want. Um, it's unfortunate because I think it would be ideal if all of our stuff could be on there and we could say whatever we want to some extent, but. You hope it never affects the live show, you know, because that, to me, that would be, you know, the old, an actual true overreach, you know. Um, it's, you know, you know, whether you work clean, if you're completely blue, whatever, when you're, especially in the circuit I'm on in the upper Midwest and Southern Ontario, um, I can s- state emphatically that a commonality between human beings is we like laughing about our tingly parts and bodily functions. And there's, there's just so much right, you could be right, in the right. middle of, you know, a town you've never heard of in Wisconsin. And some of the things that, that the laugh at are the same things that people in Ontario are going to laugh at. There's a lot of commonality to what makes us laugh and what's a good time out. And, uh, that that really is my favorite thing about comedy. It's just entertaining people and feel the energy of a room full of people laughing on a Friday night. It's the best part of it when because when you think about how how much heaviness there's on so many people's mind day in and day out in the world we live in now. It's a public service. Hundred percent. It is. It is. And I think the closer you stay to that, the better your comedy tends to be. It's not really for. We're not like. We're not making paintings for people to go look at on a wall. We're making something to literally change the way that they feel. We're trying, you know, we are, we're, we are soliciting an emotional response from them. And as soon as you forget that, and as soon as you start making something that is not meant for their laughter. Now, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you can't still be an artist and write about the things that you want, but it's ultimately it's got to get a laugh. That's the whole point. That's the business that we're in. And the sooner, the closer you stay grounded to that, usually, uh, you know, usually better the comedy is. How about that? Huh? The more you're focused on getting (laughs) the laugh, you know, it's, it's funny. The more likely you are to get said laugh. When I go on kind of a highbrow, um, um, monologue, you know, <laughs> about the importance of comedy and what I feel and the morality and blah, blah, blah. And then I always fear that someone might, uh, pick out a track on my album or something off of YouTube and, and go, this guy, <laughs> he's talking yeah, about this, this yeah, and you know, <laughs> the hypocrisy. Hey, hypocrisy is part of yeah. comedy too. Um, okay. I know we've got yeah, to wrap. Yeah. <laughs> we've got to wrap in a minute or two, but um, I'm going to go in total reverse order than I should have, because something that I'm curious about that I cannot piece together, even though we spoke, you know, three, four years ago and reading your bio on the comedy castle website, reading the bio on your, on your page i cannot piece together where you from and where you're from and where you've been i i know in your act you talk about the south but i see in the bio seattle um i I think you're in la now what what is the dustin nickerson story oh that's funny yeah no i was raised in seattle okay the south i've never been raised i don't have any attachment to the south i just am raised very redneck because Okay, that's the, the Uncle and, Tater, and uh, are they? they yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Exactly. Uncle Butch had a kid named Tater, all <laughs> that. Yeah, that's, they're from small little rural towns in Oregon. This new hour actually talks a lot about uh, the race redneck. We, I kind of expand on the idea. 
and tell some stories. But the, uh, yeah, so I was raised in Seattle for the first 27 years there. And now I live in San Diego, which is my version of doing LA without doing LA because, uh, as much as I like LA, I like keeping, I like being two hours away from LA. (laughs) Oh, San Diego is incredible. I'm that kind of. Yeah, I spent some time right. in San Diego in the early '90s, and I know it's it's grown exponentially since then. It was growing there, but what a what a what a great town! I absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah, I think San Diego is about as close to a perfect city as as we're going to produce as a country. <laughs> it's a big 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 fan of San Diego, especially growing up in a rainy place like in Seattle. But yeah, that's... I just don't. I'm not over sunshine. Okay. Nor will I get over, ever over it. Well, so you haven't bounced around as much as, okay, so that's a lot simpler than, than I would have thought. It's funny when you mention, uh, when you mention the red, redneck element in the, in, in the Pacific Northwest, because I like to think of myself as an educated and somewhat worldly person. I'm a huge music fan. So of course I was, I was a huge Nirvana and, and Kurt Cobain fan. And after, oh, after yeah. Kurt, after Kurt died, I, 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 did, I did a deep dive into uh, a couple of Cobain books and it never occurred to me that there were rednecks in the Pacific Northwest until I read that. That was so much of what shaped him. He was a he was a painfully shy, introverted, artsy kid and I think he grew up in Aberdeen, like a, a, a man's man, logging town mm-hmm. and I was like, gosh, it didn't 100%. occur to me. I thought everyone was just um, cosmopolitan espresso drinkers uh, north of San Francisco. I didn't, I didn't even think it was possible <laughs> that's hilarious yeah no as soon as you get outside the big city you know it gets that way pretty fast you know because the majority of eastern washington and then really uh central and eastern washington and central and eastern oregon are uh well particularly washington is is farmland mm-hmm. like it's apples and onions out there like it's 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 um, you know, both Seattle and Portland are just blue dots in big red states. So, um, and, and so there are elements where, I mean, I'm very grateful for that because I think that makes you end up being a pretty balanced person, being right. raised, yeah. you know, kind of redneck-y in a, in a pretty liberal area. But, uh, yeah, the Pacific Northwest rednecks, men, they are absolutely a thing. Even when you go back to like, you know, if you look, if, like, if you go back and like listen to like old Hank Williams Jr. albums, like you know, country boys will survive, and they talk about country folk where they where they live in the country. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. I mean, they I remember they say in there like in North California, like every state has it. It's just it's it's, it's really it's not even redneck is not it's not even really about conservative liberal or redneck or snowflake, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the I don't know the other side of that coin is. It really is the difference of city and country and once you get out of city it turns into country pretty quick and it, it helps you learn because i've had some of that same experience and uh having friends who who grew up rural having some people in my family who grew up rural you understand why they view the big city folk with some contempt or at least at an arm's length you kind of get to understand their point of view as well which is important yeah, well, and I think that the one of the driving forces of um, of such the strong identity of conservatives, uh, I shouldn't say conservatives, of uh, what are we saying, country folk or rural uh, people. people who live rural, rural folk, is that they feel understandably and rightfully, by the way, that city folk think they're better than them. And right. the answer, and they're right about that. Mm-hmm. A lot of elitist, liberal, city living, dwelling people do think that they are better than folks who live in the country. Yep. And uh, so they're correct. And that's a, really a driving force. I know that from my family. You know, anyone knows that from touring too. They think that, oh, just because you're, you're from a coast or you're from the city or you have a college degree. You think you are better me, and they feel like you talk down to them, and and this happens in politics all the time. Oh, absolutely. That's the driving motivation, and uh, it's good. Uh, like I'm glad for you, and I'm glad for anybody that has experience with that, because you go, if you thought that someone was acting like they're better than you, you would have that chip on your shoulder as well. Oh, one hundred percent. Well, this has been an enjoyable, enjoyable Flem's day for me. 
Glad we were able to connect and Absolutely, catch up. Yeah, thanks for having Looking me. forward to having you in town. I'm going to try and come out to the Thursday show next week and uh, say hello and take Ooh, it in. So. Um, uh, yeah, the Thursday, the fundraiser, an awesome fundraiser, and also on this podcast, a guest that you're about to hear, <laughs> our listeners are about to hear, um, <laughs> the Furniture Bank of Southeast Michigan. It's such a great cause. I know we're going to pack it out and hopefully pack it out all weekend for you. Okay, can't wait. Looking forward to it. Thanks for your time, Dustin. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Yep, thanks for having me, Tom. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of my line is Rob Boyle from the Furniture Bank of Southeastern Michigan, one of the few non-comics we have on the show. You, you, you should. That is a very steamed position for you to be in, a non-comic on the Comedy Castle podcast. Well, you know... Um... It, when I when I get up on the stage to to talk about our mission, I I, I have told a joke or two, and and I think that people laugh just to be polite. <laughs> it, it, it probably has nothing to do with me being actually funny. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let the I'll let the comedian stick to the comedy, and and I'll talk about uh, what we uh, what we do at the furniture bank. We always have a lot of fun as comics in the green room um, when uh, it's very typical for um, a special event or a fundraiser to have someone from that particular uh, charity to do a few words before the show starts. And and, and comics in the green room just love when a civilian gets on stage with the lights (laughs) in your face and you've got to all of a sudden say something. It's uh, it's it's tougher than it looks. You know, the first time I did it, it was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, I've spoken in front of people and, and, you know, this goes back almost 15 years when, you know, I was still kind of learning about how to speak in front of public, uh, you know, speak in public. And I mean, I swear you get up there and you can't see a soul and those lights are just as bright as could be and they're right in your face. And, uh, you know, Fortunately, I brought a spare pair of underwear, but uh, I uh, I soldiered through, and you know now uh, I've been doing it for a few years and uh, and a little more comfortable. Yeah, well, you sure have. Uh, we 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 had established that we believe this is the twelfth or thirteenth year you've been doing this, and we do a lot of fundraisers and work with a lot of charities throughout the year at the castle. But you're one of the longest standing ones with the Furniture Bank of Southeastern Michigan. First thing I'd like to know is how did it come come about? Way back when? When did you? When and how did you decide to do a comedy well, fundraiser? For well, you know, we, we used to do something that was a lot more uh, upscale. It was kind of a gala. And mm-hmm. uh, this this is prior to me joining my organization. And, um, you know, my timing being impeccable as it is, I, I joined right in the midst of the Great Recession. Okay. So uh, most of the people who were supporting our gala were auto executives that found themselves out of work. And, um, you know, we really didn't have a, a viable fundraiser. And uh, somebody presented the idea of doing a fundraiser at the Comedy Castle. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've been to enough fundraisers that some of them are great. And some of them, you know, you're kind of looking at your watch after a little while. And and this is just really a great way to go. Uh, Mark and Mary and the folks at the Comedy Castle have just been, you know, outstanding to work with, I think. The first year we did it, we brought in about twenty thousand dollars, and now you know annually we're, we're when we do our event there, we make over twice that, and uh, it, it it really helps support our mission. So we're just thrilled to be back for another year. Well, certainly, and it's a great thing that you do in preparation. A, a lot of uh, a lot of weekends, as, as in the four years that I've been doing the show, a lot of weekends when I have time, I'm doing prep by watching clips of the comics we're having on i'll uh, i'll listen to their albums uh for for preparation for our conversation uh i've just been perusing the website and it's it's fascinating um it's fascinating what you guys do you've got some heavy hitters on your board of directors and the people who actually run the charity i don't want to botch any of the details uh of it so i we're certainly going to direct all of our listeners to the to the website of the furniture bank of southeastern michigan but you could, could you give our listeners an idea of what the mission of the charity is sure our mission is to provide beds and furniture for children and families um you know when most people think of, of, you know, what we call basic needs in the human service sector. They think of food, clothing, and shelter. Mm-hmm. But if you or your child don't have a bed to sleep in at night, um, you're going to be hard-pressed. Your child's not going to be prepared for school. You won't be prepared to hold down a job. Um, you know, if you don't have a table to share a meal on, 
um, you know, you're, you're not living with dignity. If you, if you don't feel good about inviting somebody into your home because you don't have any possessions, um, it, it, it makes it challenging for people who are in already, you know, vulnerable positions to begin with. And so, you know, what we do is we have uh, a few trucks, actually a fleet of three trucks right now that are on the road six days a week. And we pick up furniture donations from the homes of, you know, just individual furniture donors who call us up and have a, a sofa or a mattress or a box spring uh, that's, that's no longer usable. And, um, you know, on the other end, we take in referrals from a network of about 75 health and human service partners. And we match up, um, you know, the furniture that we get with the specific needs of the clients who are coming to us. And we're helping families who are in poverty. We're helping families who are transitioning from homelessness, working with child protective services, fleeing crisis or abuse, getting mental health services. Uh, and this year we're on target to, you know, serve probably about 2,400 families, about 7,500 folks wow. in total. And uh, I, I think we may distribute as much as a million dollars in furniture to these folks this year. And, and they desperately need it because, oh. again, you know, their kids should be sleeping in beds, they should be sharing meals on tables, and they should live with the stability and dignity that most of us take for granted. One of the things that really hit me, too, because as, as luck would have it, as I'm reading through the website information yesterday, uh, in, in my neighborhood... It's garbage day. Uh, we, uh, I live on the western edge of Oakland County, Michigan, and uh, I haven't, I haven't perused the stats in the last four or five years. But Oakland County, Michigan, has uh, per capita been one of the wealthiest counties in America for the better part of the last hundred years. Uh, you know, because of the auto trade and what have you. There's a lot of affluence here, and I, um, after I was was writing down notes and I go outside to take my garbage out, I look up and down my street, and you can see an old lazy boy. You can see an old love seat. People, for some reason, people don't think of the value of, of, of a furniture that's in decent shape. Um, I really didn't even think of it until I started learning about your mission. So um, instead, if I can implore my neighbors and, and, and the people in my community to think twice before you put it out on the curb and, and, and call the Furniture Bank of Southeastern Michigan, how do you donate furniture? So there, there's a couple ways. You can go to our website at www.furniture-bank.org. So it's it's furniture-bank.org. And um, you can just click on a donate button, and it takes you right to our page um, as to what we take. Um, we have some furniture removal services, you know, because of the nature of the families that we're serving, um, you know, who tend to have smaller homes or apartments. We, we, we don't take bigger items to get the families that we're getting furniture for because they have a little place and they don't have china so they mm -hmm. don't have use for a china cabinet but we'll take the china cabinet out for some money this way you don't bust up your back or your moldings in your house mm -hmm. and the money that we earn helps support our mission and so is it tax deductible you, i'm assuming you you can write it off on your taxes we provide receipts to uh everybody who uh, donates furniture to us with the specific items that they have donated. And in addition to our website, you can call us up at 248-332-1300. We have a call center of about four or five uh, you know, people working at any given time to answer your call. Uh, we do, I think this year we'll probably do somewhere around 4,500 individual furniture pickups from the homes of uh, Metro Detroiters. And uh, as I mentioned before, we're on target to serve uh, about 2,400 families this year. So, you know, we, we could we could certainly use the furniture. There's no two ways about that. Is there anything, uh, does it have to be in uh, a particular condition uh, for you to take it? Certainly, we don't want people, if something's been all tore up or, or the pet's gotten uh, to uh, it. Uh, uh, yeah, we, if, if, if Tabby or Fido have gotten to it, unfortunately, um, we're, we're unable to accept it. You know, we, we want furniture... Um, that is in good condition, as we like to say, gently used, um, that, you know, somebody who may be coming out of a homeless shelter can feel good about when they get into their new house or apartment. So we ask that the items aren't stained, torn, structurally damaged. Uh, as you said, uh, Tabby or Fido, you know, doing a rounder, several on it. And, uh, and, and, um, because again, we, we want people to feel good about 
their homes, about the furniture that they have in their home, and ultimately about themselves so they and their families can, you know, hopefully move on to better things than, than a homeless shelter that they may have had to stay in. Do you take um, do you take bedding? Do you take mattresses, box springs? We, we do, absolutely. You know, we'll probably give out, you know, somewhere around uh, 2,000 beds like mattresses and box springs this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they can't be stained or torn. Um, and we inspect them very, very carefully and we spray them with an antimicrobial because um, we don't like bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and the thing is, um, we're giving this furniture out, but we're doing so from a place that we're all coming to work every day. So, you know, right. we have a vested interest. In addition to not wanting to pass along a health risk to anybody, we have a vested interest to make sure that the furniture is in good condition and, and free of, uh, of any pests. So, um, so yeah, we, we spray them, but we absolutely do take mattresses and box springs. And I would just add, we, we also raise discretionary money to buy mattresses and box springs for kids. Um, because, you know, oftentimes we're not getting as many, uh, you know, twin beds, uh, twin box springs and, and twin, uh, mattresses to meet up with the needs of the kids that are being referred to us. So I think this year we're on target to provide out new and used probably somewhere around 700 beds to kids here in Metro Detroit. So about about 2000 beds in total, uh, probably about 700 beds to kids this year. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to pull you aside and give you some details on a dilemma. My wife and I have had, we've, uh, we've, um, went to replace our, uh, bed, uh, box spring and mattress a, a few years ago. And we had, you know, we had a very, very nice bed that had served its purpose, but our mattress is so disgusting. And I'm telling you, I have been, I have not had an accident. I'm doing air quotes. I know our listeners, I haven't had an accident since like the second grade. I don't know what the hell has happened. I don't know if someone's breaking into our house and spillings, but we've been too ashamed to put it on the curb. We, we've we've got some neighbors a couple doors up that we don't see eye to eye with that we've considered in the middle of the night on trash day dragging it down to their house and putting it out. But uh, I'll show you some pictures next week and see if we can make a deal. Yeah, you know, I I, I think I'm busy next week, Tom. But you know, perhaps I can I can I can squeeze it in. No, you know, we 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 again though we we just want folks to feel good about the items that they have, and we we want them to be you know to to make sure that their homes or apartments where they're living are places where they can get some rest and comfort because, you know, they, you know, you know, I've heard just some, you know, horrible stories about, you know, um, people, women who, you know, the the kids are staying with their mom while they ride a bus at night just to have a, a, you know, something resembling a roof over their head or, you know, a gentleman came to us, you know, and when he got in his apartment, all he had was his jacket. So Mm -hmm. he would, he would use it alternately as a pillow or a blanket depending on uh, what he felt he needed more, you know, at, at that specific time. Um, you know, so, so there, you know, on average, you know, the families that are coming to us, um, you know, probably about 70% are reporting household incomes uh, of 10,000 bucks or less a year. Uh, and then, you know, the next, say, 20% are at, you know, somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000 a year. And on average, there's three people in the home of the families that we're serving. And, and so it's usually, you know, the profile is a single mom and a couple of kiddos. And, and you know, so we're, we're really, you know, trying to make sure that we get good items and good repair that they can feel good about and, uh, and hopefully do good things with their life. And I would add, you know, um, with the whole moratorium uh, that that we had on evictions, which you know during the pandemic kept kept a lot of people in their homes at, at a time when they really needed to be in their homes. Um, but you know, ever since that has gone by the wayside, we've seen uh, a real spike in family referrals over to us. So you know, evictions that had backlogged suddenly have been had started like gangbusters, and we're up about thirty percent this year over the number of families that we served last year and when you factor in the cost that labor's higher um you know gas fuel you know is Everything. is you know tw- twice as high you know we we've, we've got 30% more people needing furniture at a time when it's more expensive to help each individual family that's coming to us so you know that's why we hope that uh you know folks will come out uh, you know, next 
uh, Thursday to, to the Comedy Castle and, and see Dustin and, and support our mission because, uh, you know, there's a whole heck of a lot of meat out there. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, and and we, we certainly could use the support. Well, you guys, you, you, you do wonderful things. We're, we're so proud of our association with you and 12 or 13 years, however long it's been. Um, before we wrap, um, first of all, I want to thank you again for your time. And I want to make sure we get out that phone number and website uh, one more time at 248-332-1300. If you want to donate or the website, is it, um, is it furniturebank.org, correct? It's, it's, it's furniture-bank.org. Furniture-bank. Do, do you need a www? <laughs> Some furniture. people do. Some furniture. people do. Furniture-bank.org. And if you need to, to put those three W's uh, on the front end with a dot uh, after, it would be www.furniture-bank.org. Well, thanks again for the great work you're doing in our community, Rob. It's always uplifting. Makes my brings a smile to my face when I see people being selfless and, and doing things for the good of others as well. And I uh, can't wait for the 13th to have some laughs and raise some money with you. All right. Long episode this week. Lots in there. Lots of talking. Uh, it's great cause if you can make it Thursday and help us pack that place for the charity and fundraiser for the Furniture Bank of Southeast Michigan. That's terrific. However, if you can't make it on the 13th, remember, there's uh, there's four more opportunities to see Dustin uh, for the remainder of the weekend. And then, again, please don't forget about Tommy Davidson on Sunday the 16th. That will be a terrific show. Thank you to all of you. Thank you to everyone who supports the Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast on a weekly basis. Make sure you're spreading the word. Make sure you subscribe, like it, tell your friend about it. We'll keep bringing you the top touring comics in America on a weekly basis. Thank you so much to our producer, Joel Fregameni, who works real hard on this, making it sound good for all of you and getting it posted on a timely basis. Truly do appreciate all of his efforts and appreciate all of you. Until next time, this is Tom McCarthy for Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. Mm-hmm.